Good morning. In the next 20 minutes, I'm going to answer all the questions you have about the Bible. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Uh, you may end up having more questions after the sermon of the day than you did before. My own experience with the Bible is that uh, the more you read it, the more questions that you have. And questions are good because it's through questions that we, we discover who God is and we discover the Bible itself. The Bible has been a part of my life my whole life. I've been reading it with devotion since I was in high school, studied it all the way through college, got a master's degree, been preaching the Bible for more than 35 years, and I still have questions. In fact, I may have more questions today about the Bible than I did when I first started preaching. So when you ask the question, what is the Bible, it's, it's a hard question to answer. The Bible is a lot of things. The Bible is not really one book. It's really, it's a library of books. It was written by different authors over a long period of time, each author expressing different truths and different ways of looking at God. There's a phrase in uh, the Hebrew tradition, the Jewish tradition, called the 70 faces of the Torah. And what that means is there are 70 different ways to look at the Bible to look at the Old Testament, to look at the Scriptures, and you can keep turning it, turning it, turning it, and seeing new things. So we'll never have all our questions answered. So today what I want to do is I want to explore the question, what is the Bible for our world today? How do we make sense of it? A book that was so old, how do we make sense of some of the stories? And the way we're going to do it is I'm going to look at one part of the Bible that is troubling for a lot of people. Some people will say, David... Why does God in the Old Testament seem to be so jealous, so vengeful, so angry, yet in the New Testament so kind and so forgiving? That's a big question I get so often. And what I want to do is I want to read a part of the story of Joshua and the story of the walls of Jericho that is often hardly ever, maybe never read in church, especially not told in Bible school. You know the story? Joshua marches around the city with the Ark of the Covenant in front of the armies of God. They march around the walls of Jericho. On the seventh day, they march around seven times and the walls fall. This is the ending of the story. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at dawn. They circled the city in this way seven times. It was only on that day that they circled the city seven times. The seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets. Then Joshua said to the people, shout. Because the Lord has given you the city. The city and everything in it is to be utterly wiped out as something reserved for the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute is to stay alive, along with everything with her in her house. And this is because she hid the messengers we sent. But you keep away from the things set aside for God so that you don't desire and take some of the things reserved for God. That would turn the camp of Israel into a thing doomed to be utterly wiped out and bring calamity on it. All silver and gold, along with bronze and iron equipment, are holy to the Lord. They must go into the Lord's treasury. Then the people shouted. They blew the trumpets. And as soon as the people heard the trumpet blast, they shouted as loud a war cry. And then the wall collapsed and the people went up against the city, attacking straight ahead. And they captured the city. Without mercy, they wiped out everything in the city as something reserved for God. Man and woman, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. 
Now what happens immediately after that, there is a man in the story who ends up taking some of the things that were reserved for God. And when they discover who he is, they stone him to death. And then they take his family and burn and stone his entire family and burn his tent. And not, all he left was this man's family is smoking ruins. And this happens in 31 different cities where the Israelites kill everyone, men, women, and children. Now what's interesting is if you turn over then to the story of Jonah and you get a very different picture of who God is and what God is like. In this story, Jonah is sent to Nineveh. Nineveh was Assyria. The Assyrian people were a violent and wicked people. They had crushed the northern empire of Israel, gouged out king's eyes, had murdered children, taken people into exile. They were a brutal people. So God sent Jonah to them to ask them to repent. And Jonah, at the end of the story, is mad. He's angry because God has forgiven them and shown them mercy. And this is what it says, But Jonah thought the Lord was utterly wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Come on, Lord. Wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled Tarshish earlier. I know that you're a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of love, and willing not to destroy at this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me because it would be better for me to die than to live. And he said, I'm so mad at you, God, for loving these people. Just kill me. And the Lord responded, is your anger a good thing? And then at the end it says, yet for my part, God is speaking, can I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. So here we see in, in the Old Testament itself, we see one story which shows compassion, one story that shows violence, and they both, these stories both describe God in the Old Testament. I now flip to the New Testament for the word of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. And then we see Jesus in the New Testament doing something interesting. He is disregarding parts of the Old Testament. He's disregarding parts of the Old Testament law. In fact, another part in the story, there'd be a woman who would come up to Jesus, would come to Jesus brought by a group of men that would demand that she be stoned, and he had every right to stone her and to execute her for adultery. But instead, Jesus disregards the law and said, this is not what God wants, and forgives the woman. Today, I want to talk about the Bible and what I would call the problem of the Bible. It's interesting because when, when I asked you to take the spiritual crisis survey, you know what was number three on the list? The Bible. And I was curious about, I wonder why people would say the Bible had caused a spiritual crisis. Well, I don't know. Nobody told me, so I'm just making a few assumptions about the Bible and why it might cause you to struggle. One reason may be that some of you are just overwhelmed by it. You want to read it. You want to understand it, and you know it's important, and you don't understand it, and it, you're, you struggle with it. Some of you, it may be that it, it's, you struggle with it because you actually did read it and you understand it. 
What I mean is you read the story of the Bi- in the Bible and you read what God wants for us for our life and you realize that our life comes up short for what God wants and we struggle with it. We read that we're supposed to forgive our enemies and forgive the people that hurt us and we struggle with that. And so that creates a crisis. We realize we're not living the way God wants us to live. And then there are others of us, we struggle with the Bible because we read a story like this and it looks like God is endorsing genocide. What do you do with a story like that? Children? And then some of us uh, perhaps check this box. Uh, the Bible is a problem for me because the reason is that we've been in churches or situations where someone used the Bible as a weapon to wound us. There are a lot of people who weaponize Scripture in order to hurt people and to wound people. This is what I always say to people. If you read the Bible and it doesn't wreck you, it probably means you never read it. If you read the Bible, if you, if you, the only way not to have a problem with the Bible is not to read it, okay? And let me, so let me tell you about my experience. I grew up reading the Bible, studied the Bible all the way through high school, loved the Bible, it's still a part of my life. I went away to college, and all of a sudden it was like somebody blew up a bomb in my head. I suddenly found myself sitting in an Old Testament class with a, a Harvard-educated PhD in the Old Testament scriptures and studies, and I was overwhelmed by what I was hearing. Things weren't as simple as I thought. The Bible wasn't just dropped out of heaven in its present King James English and given to us this way in perfect form. There were translations and different translations and different texts and debates on what should be in and what should be out. I was challenged by the thing I was hearing. I was learning about all different kinds of cultures and different ways of looking at the Bible, multiple ways of interpreting the Bible. And suddenly I realized things were a lot more complicated than I once thought. It wasn't that simple. And I was overwhelmed. And then I kind of got wrecked because I began to read more intensely about who is Jesus, what is Jesus like. And then when I began to read his vision for life, what he wants for you, what he wants for me and wants for our world, my heart was just captured again and again by his vision. I look at the world and I know what he wants, his love and forgiveness, his mercy. I see him on the cross dying for the others. And I see his vision of serving and loving and it just captured my heart and confirmed everything that I was being called to do with my life, and I gave my life to it. It's so, you know, the beauty, the beauty of the kingdom of God just grabbed my heart. And then I also read these stories, stories like this in the Old Testament. Because honestly, when I was going to church, we didn't read those stories. You know, we go to Bible school, we went to vacation Bible school, and we heard the story of Jericho. It was turned into a children's story, and it was scrubbed clean, but that's not a children's story. You know, the walls came down, Joshua had great faith, but nowhere did I hear the story that they wiped him out. In fact, if that story were not in the Bible, we'd call it genocide. But because it's in the Bible, we want want to endorse it. We want to say, well, that must have been what God wanted. We don't know what it means. We'll just have to trust that it's what God wanted. But if it was any place else in the Bible, we'd call it genocide. So I began to struggle with it. And there's a lot of stories like that in the Old Testament. Over and over again where you see religion and violence. So what do you do with that? So I was, it was like I was drinking out of a fire hydrant. And one night, my third semester, overwhelmed, I laid on my bed and I said, God, I just, I'm so uncomfortable. This is making me so uncomfortable. Things are not as simple. I have all these questions, all these questions. And then suddenly this kind of peace came over my heart. It was like God whispered in my ear and said, hey, it's okay to ask questions. I can You'll find me in the questions. And I just surrendered. 
I surrendered to the Lord and said, Lord, you can have my heart. I just want to learn. I want to grow. And I heard God say, you can never be too curious. I woke up the other night in the middle of the night. You know what? I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this thought thinking about that day so long ago. And it, I realized this truth. That just because you believe something your whole life doesn't make it true. Let me say it again. Just because you believe something your whole life doesn't make it true. Or some preacher told you something about the Bible doesn't make it true. And sometimes, and sometimes the things that we believe that are true are not true. They keep us from learning and exploring. And in that moment, in that moment when I laid there on my bed and opened up my heart to God, you know what happened? I thought my faith was being ripped apart, but instead God was inviting me to something deeper and something more meaningful. David Wolpe, uh, when he was in high school, he became an atheist. His dad was a rabbi in a prominent synagogue. And you know what his dad did when he said, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an atheist? I mean, because he'd read the Hebrew scriptures, some of these, and he became an atheist. His dad didn't discourage him. The rabbi dad went and got a bunch of atheist literature and said, well, go read it. Find out what it's like. And you know what happened? Because his dad encouraged his questions, through the questions he ended up founding God and becoming one of the most well-respected rabbis in the country. We make a big mistake when we try to put our kids in a Bible bubble. We try to protect them. We try to shield them. And we don't allow them to ask questions. And so what happens is when you guys go off to college and you've never heard anything about the bigger world, you're not allowed to think for yourself, you know what ends up happening? You go away to college and suddenly you go, I do believe in science or believe in the Bible. Well, you can believe in both. And what happens is kids leave their faith because their church protected them from the real questions from the real world instead of teaching you to engage your faith and to really think. We want you to think. We want you to grow. We want you to use your mind, to use your heart, so that when you walk away from the church and leave the church, you will explore as opposed to give up and say it's a good thing. I got a letter. I got a letter not that long ago from a man who said, David, I liked you better when you were 40. <laughs> it wasn't a compliment. He said, you're not the same preacher you were when you were 40. And you know he's right. I'm not the same preacher. When you've been to the Holy Land, you don't preach the Bible the same way. When you've had cancer, you don't preach the Bible the same way. When you walked with a family through the death of a child, you don't preach the Bible the same way. When you become friends with people from other religions, Jews, Muslims, other people around the world, you don't preach the Bible the same way. As you grow and you get older, you know, why is it that we would think that you should be able to evolve in everything else in your life except the way you think about your faith? Why would it be a good thing for someone to still believe the same things about the Bible they did when they were in sixth grade? I think God wants us to grow, and my thinking on the Bible has evolved, and I don't see that as a bad thing. Now, I'm, my wife said, you're wrong. She said, you haven't changed. You're still preaching the same message of love, but I'm still evolving. I'm still growing. And we meet God in the questions. And so, you know, in this story, let, let me use this. What I, want, what I want you to do is fall in love with the Bible, to ask the hard questions. So when you ask the hard questions, what happens is it opens it up. So I used to believe, okay, that just means that God, that God uh, had something in mind we don't understand, okay? Okay, want, okay so God, one of those people, that, I, I don't understand God's plan, it's a mystery to me. That no longer worked for me for a while. Then I went and get, well, maybe those people were just really wicked and God knew they had to be wiped out. Then I started looking around. There's a lot of wicked people on the earth. If God wiped out all the wicked people, there'd be nobody left. 
You know, and I started reading parts in the Bible that says we, that, that we're allowed to stone our children to death who are disobedient. If that was the case, we wouldn't need to do children's wing, right? Did you catch that? So, so it didn't make sense to me. I started thinking, how do we? And then there was this old this, uh, guy in the second century, who's a Christian named Marcion. Marcion just said, he said, well, there's a simple example. There's a God of the Old Testament. He's a lesser God. And there's a God of the New Testament. Well, that doesn't make sense. See, there's just one God. So this led me to this one conclusion. This one conclusion is how the Bible came to be. And this is what I've been taught and what I believe. It makes more sense to me. That the Bible is a divine book and a human book. That God didn't just take somebody's hand and force them to write things. That God chose human beings to write the Bible. And so when we read the Bible, it's written from the point of view of the culture and the language and the times of the people that wrote it. So when they wrote the book of Genesis, that's what they knew about science, the way the world was written. They weren't trying to write a science book. It was a faith book. And at that time when the story of Joshua was written, that's what kings did. That's what they did. You go wipe out people. You march your king in front, and you kill off everybody. So I think that this story reflects more the character of human beings than it does the character of God. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this incredible tension between uh, God who loves all people and this tension of religion to make religion our possession, and anybody that doesn't belong to religion is wrong and is doomed. You see that tension within the Scripture. And so then in the Scripture, we have this careful balance where God put in Jonah and other books of the Bible that reaffirm God's intention for all people. Because within the Jewish tradition, the Jewish scriptures, God said, I want you to be a blessing to the whole world. But somehow they begin to think it's mine, it's ours, it's mine, it's mine, it's ours. They forget that. And then you have Jonah reminding them. You have all these other verses that, that talk about the love of God. The God of the Old Testament is not a God of hate. The God of the Old Testament is a God of love. It's right there in the scriptures. So this story represents the evil of religion. The tendency of religions in our world to use religion to justify violence and destruction. It's the same thing. We see it happening over and over and over again. I don't believe that God endorsed genocide. I don't believe it. It's hard, And I don't think it's disloyal to God to say that we don't believe that. Let me ask you, what's more difficult to believe? To accept it as it is, word for word, literally, God ordered this. Or to accept that maybe the Bible is a divine holy book, but authored to human beings. I find the second one to be much easier than the first one. Because what do you do then? There's all these religions in the world that are killing people in the name of, in their name of their religion. So my, it's in my book, so my God's better than your God, so I can kill people, but you can't doesn't make any reasonable sense to me. So when I look at the Bible then, I see it that way. And you see that story is completely inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus. This is what happened. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus shows us what God is like. And when Jesus came to the earth, he helps us. How do we interpret scripture? Through the eyes of Jesus. When God wanted to show the world what good religion is, he came himself. Instead of killing people, he loved them. Instead of rejecting the Gentiles, he saved them. Instead of turning the sick away, he loved them. And, and Jesus disregarded parts of the Old Testament. He didn't stone the woman. He loved the Gentiles. He touched the sick. And the early church didn't require people to be circumcised to join it. Good thing we'd be a small church. Tough way to get in. All you got to do is accept Jesus, right? Jesus is a definitive word of God that helps us understand 
Scripture. And to me, when I look at the Bible that way, it makes so much more sense. It becomes so much more alive. We have to ask the question, who were they writing to? What were they writing about? What was the cultural situation? And you know there are a lot of people around the world that want to take the Bible and say, and legitimize their violence. That guy that walked in the back of this sanctuary believed he was doing the will of God. A family a few years ago that abandoned a woman in our church who took her life. And we conducted a funeral service for her and her family didn't come because she had left their religion. That's what religion does. But Jesus says that's wrong. Genocide, whether it's in the Bible or not, does not reflect the character of God. It reflects the character of people. And Jesus is how we interpret Scripture. Jesus is the Word of God that shows us. And it all comes down to these things that Jesus said. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. And you know what? I love this church. You know why? Because this is a place where you can come and bring your questions. This is a place where you can come and disagree. This is a place where you can come and interpret the Bible differently. And what's beautiful about that, that's how we find out what is really true. By meeting each other. That God speaks to us. God is real in the midst of a community that's wrestling with Scripture. The 70 faces of the Torah, just turning it and turning it and turning it. You know, it's messy. But it sure is a lot more fun, isn't it? 